So I'm starting a new section today, uh, and I will get back to some finishing thoughts on evangelism by Jesus, but I wanted to start the new year on a topic of character traits of Jesus to emulate. Because I think that as we start a year and we want to be the kind of Christians that God wants us to be, we need to emulate Jesus. We need to have these characteristics in, in our life. I'm afraid that so many of us call ourselves Christians, and yet, even though we call ourselves Christians, uh, the world really can't see that differential in our life. There's, no, there's very little difference between the way we act and the way we speak and people in the world. And so I want to focus in on that. I want to make you cognizant of what that's about. Uh, and I'm going to spend some time. Most likely this will be this week and next week. And I also want to uh, welcome our Internet uh, audience to this study as well. And so we're going to study the character traits of Jesus to emulate. Now, here's what I want to focus on to begin with. And that is this. As you know, I view salvation in two steps. Day one and day two. In day one, you are saved totally without anything that you did. You had, no, you had no part of that salvation experience other than the fact that you recognized you were lost, and in your lost state, you reached up and said, God, I need a savior. I need help. And in that instantaneous moment, when you made that, that request to God, God reaches across eternity, and he fills you with his spirit and seals you with the Holy Spirit and washes you with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are instantaneously saved. You are saved forever. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. He sits there and he holds you in the palm of his hands. No power, no principality, nothing can take you out of the hand of God. Yes, that's something to say amen about. All right? So you are saved having nothing to do with anything that you did. Now, that's day one. And much of the Christian world, I will say, much of the Christian world is camped out in day one. Uh, and here's the thing. God wants us to move on to day two. What is day two? Day two becomes the willful moving of your heart and carrying the cross of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. Picking up the cross, walking with Jesus, sanctifying yourself daily, praying to the Lord, studying scripture, asking him to fill and refill you because you see that your, your heart, which has been filled with the Holy Spirit, is like a leaking pail. And, and as the Spirit drains out of you as you live in this evil world, you need to go back and say, Lord, continue to fill me. Continue to speak to my heart. Continue to show me the weaknesses. Forgive me, Lord, for, for the uh, infractions that I commit. I'm all yours. I will be your man. That is day two. And that is what this is about. I'm trying to focus you in on day two. So when you see Christians and you say, oh, I'm not sure that they're saved, uh, you know, they go to certain uh, denominations and they probably don't even hear what I'm speaking about. Your job is to tell them about this. I, they need to understand that there is a greater experience awaiting them in day two. And so day two, part of day two, uh, relies on the fact that you have to recognize you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have within you the very power of God, the very Spirit of God, 
to change your life, to change your character, to change your characteristics, to change your speech patterns. All of this is now within you. And now the question is, will you ask God to continue to empower you, to recognize what this is, to help you to become closer to him? And here's the thing. You cannot do this on your own. All right? Let me make sure you understand this. This is not about you saying, I'm going to start a 10-step program and I'm going to make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to change the way I live. That's, that's failure because you don't have the authority or the power to change your carnal nature. But here's the deal. With the Holy Spirit, you do. With the impact of God's Holy Spirit in your life, you have that uh, ability to do it. And that's what I want to show you today and what I want to begin to have you recognize, what God can do with his Spirit in you. And so as we reflect on these ten character traits of Jesus, uh, we need to have a life that is controlled and energized by the Spirit of God. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this, that he filled you with the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God. You have it within you when you were saved. And so now you need to live your life controlled by that Spirit, asking God to watch your steps, asking God to watch your speech, asking God to help you to have love and, and, and compassion. Uh, in every possible way, constantly asking him. And when you find, Lord, I have a deficit in this area of my life, I need your intervention, he will intervene. So don't go through life saying, I am what I am. That's what it is. No, you're not a you am what you am. All right? No, you're not. All right? You are what God wants you to be. And the question is, will you be obedient to God and take that walk in day two? Uh, and as I say to you, every day that I get up here and speak to you, I'm preaching to me first. I'm preaching to me first, all right? And so I don't want you to think that I'm casting stones at you. This is, this is me preaching to John. If it bounces off of John and hits you, well, that's good. That's the way God wants it to be. But this is about the recognition of what God wants us to do uh, as, as Christians. The, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul emphasized that a godly life is not lived under the rules of law, but is a life led by the Spirit. That's exactly right. A godly life is a, is a life led by the Spirit of God. And that's what this is about as we understand this. Uh, and so as I begin to focus in on these character traits that Jesus led in every possible aspect of his life, that's what we're going to study. How did Jesus handle these issues? How did Jesus walk in a world that was evil by people that hated him? How did he matriculate that kind of life? Well, he was God, certainly, but he was motivated by the Holy Spirit in every sense of his life. So the first aspect that we have as a character trait to focus in on is compassion. Compassion. Jesus never looked away from the people. Never. He always looked upon them and had compassion. Um, and if you want to see a verse that focuses in on that, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. And that's what I'm going to give you every step of the way, give you some verses to look at. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Verse 35, we'll start with that. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had 
compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That was Jesus. He saw the multitudes. He walked amongst the multitudes. He saw the poor. He saw how they were treated, how they were reviled, how they were beaten down. And his heart ached for them. His heart ached for them. Uh, And so compassion is something deeper than kindness. Uh, Compassion effectively is uh, experiencing someone else's suffering and making that your suffering. How's that? That's what compassion is, that you see the suffering of some other person, and in the experience of Christ, you then adopt that suffering and you feel it yourself. And what does that mean? It means when you see someone who's hurting, that hurt becomes your hurt, all right? You see someone that's, that's got a bad diagnosis, that bad diagnosis becomes your responsibility, all right? You see people that, that can't make ends meet, that, that's burdening to you. You're burdened by that. You know that story of when, when uh, two years ago when I was in church and I saw that grandmother come up uh, and effectively uh, asked to have her uh, four grandchildren prayed for and blessed because she had just adopted those grandchildren, effectively, immediately, something said in my heart, well, you need to find out what this story is. Why would a grandmother adopt her her four children? And when the pastor asked the church, and there's 2,000 people there, well, will your family please stand up so we can acknowledge them? Not one person stood up. Now, here's the definition of compassion. I didn't know the story. I didn't know the story but I had a pain in my heart. It wasn't right. God was dealing with me. Now, that's when the Holy Spirit, you rely on the Holy Spirit. Hey, here's the deal. The old John would have said, oh, it's too bad. I'll say a prayer for her. But that would have been it. No, no, that's not it. And so that night when I went home and slept all night long, I was disturbed. I was disturbed by this. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me sleep. And this is when you give rise to the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't let me sleep. And so the next day, I called the church. I said, can you tell me what the story was? And they gave me this horrific story about the fact that uh, this uh, woman uh, had a son, was married, uh, and he had four children, all under the age of nine. And they all lived in a 600-square-foot trailer. Can you imagine? Uh, All these people, it was a horrendous situation. And then one day, he was mentally... uh, uh, distraught. He had been under treatment for mental illness. He got up and he killed his wife and he killed, committed suicide right there outside the trailer. And so here they were. These kids had lost their mother and father. They were left with this grandmother who was now going to live the rest of her life adopting them. And they were living in this 600 wreck of a trailer where the grandmother was sleeping in a, in a chair. Now, I didn't know this. You understand? I didn't know the facts behind it. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's like God is going, wake up, bro, wake up. And so when, I, when the church told me that, and I said, well, what, what are we doing for her? And the church said, well, we really can't do anything. You know, I'm sorry to say the church said we really can't do anything, and I'm not indicting a church, all right? I'm not indicting a church. That's not what I meant. But I knew one thing. I knew God wanted me to step forward. Now, here's the deal, and I'm using this as a life example for you. When you're moved by the Holy Spirit like that, 
I stepped into my two classes on Sunday, that very day, and I said to both of those classes, the Lord has touched my heart. I believe we have, you were here. You saw that woman. I know what the story is. I think we need to step up and buy her a place to live, a new place to live. And then I came here, and I said the same story. And I want to say that between those three groups, we raised $280,000 in three months and put her into a brand-new house, fully furnished. All right? That is, that is the Holy Spirit of God motivating us to do the will of God. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. And here's the thing. You know, I thought it was going to be a simple task. When I first started, I thought, well, we'll just need to raise maybe 80000 to buy her a trailer. But then I found out, oh, not so easy, John. You can't put a, a woman with children into trailer parks in Naples. They're all for senior citizens. And then the zoning restrictions were so difficult, we couldn't do that. So finally, we had to buy a house, and a very nice house. But God brought in $280,000 in three months, and they are now in that house living a, a godly life, going to church. Those children are doing well. And I would say that all of that is from God, inspired through the Holy Spirit. It's not about me, all right? It's not about you. It's that we allowed ourselves to be used by God. This is what God wants you to do this year, all right? I want you to have a spirit of compassion, meaning what? That as you matriculate in this life and you walk through this life, when you see pain, you feel the pain. When you see hurt, you feel the hurt. When you see the need, you feel the need. This is what God expects from you guys. You people are in day two. Now it's time to act like we're carrying the cross of Jesus Christ, all right? That's what God wants us to do, carry the cross of Christ. This is how you carry the cross of Christ. Look, it's not about me constantly looking to make more money and accumulate more goods. It's about me finding a way to impact the world for Jesus. How do you think the world is going to understand what Jesus is, who Jesus is? The only way they're going to see that is through you as you walk and impact the life of these other people. This is an incredible need here. For compassion, and so one of the first characters, characteristics that Jesus had was this uh, characteristic of, of compassion. Uh, Bonhoeffer said it well. You know, he, I admire Bonhoeffer so much. You know he was the German theologian who faced down Hitler uh, and went back to try to preserve the Lutheran churches. And as a result for that, he could have left. He could have stayed in America, but he went back to Germany. And as a result of that, he was eventually hanged. Uh, here's what Bonhoeffer said on this issue. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Wow. Regard people less in the light of what they do or what they fail to do, but more in the light of what they suffer. There's a great deal of suffering going on in this world. And God has called us, called us to have the compassion. That means we pray for them. We lift them up. We affirm them. Maybe we give them money. Maybe we find a way to improve their life. But we do all of that, all of that, uh, in order to demonstrate the love and compassion of God. Now, this is exhibited not just in the New Testament. It is exhibited in the Old Testament as well. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Verse 15, we'll start with. This is what the sovereign Lord 
the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away. Till you are all left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. I want you to get that sense there. That as, that, as the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel, they, they didn't deserve it in a worldly sense. They didn't deserve mercy or justice because they hadn't relied on God. They were fleeing instead of relying on God. And yet God intervened. He gave them mercy. He gave them protection because he loved them, because he had compassion for them. And so you see this as a primary exhibit of the character of God. All right? We're going to start with compassion exhibited by God. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. And as I always say to you, uh, unless I give you scripture to back up what I'm saying, uh, you can disregard what I say because it would merely be my opinion. My opinion is irrelevant. All right? That's why I love whenever I see, you know, certain pastors or Evangelists get up and five ways to do this, seven ways to do this, nine ways to do this, and you never hear a citation to Scripture. Well, you come here, you're going to get citations to Scripture, because otherwise it's meaningless. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, and this is where he's speaking to Moses now. Moses wanted to see who God was. He wanted to look at God's face. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Uh, but, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see and live. I will have compassion and mercy on who I will have compassion. There you see it right from the beginning, right from where the Israelite people had been called out to Egypt, right when, when Moses had been called to serve him. And so you see this. Look again at Isaiah 54, if you would. Isaiah 54, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Is that good enough for you? Though the mountains be removed, Though the very mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Put that on your refrigerator, all right? You get up and you're having a bad day, all right? You, you made the mistake and turned on the news, all right? And it was a good day. Only 100 people died, okay? And the stock market only went down 600 points. Praise God, it's looking good, all right? Maybe another three days I'll be out in the street. Listen! I want you to understand something. You understand? You are a child of God. He's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. You have to have faith in him that he'll do that. But he expects us to move on in the day to experience. Compassion. Now, I know what some of you are saying right now. Well, I you know my father, my father wasn't a compassionate guy. 
My mother, weren't, they weren't compassionate people. I, I grew up in a hard way. Hey, man, for some of you people, you know, your parents have been dead for 30 years. When do the excuses end? All right? When do the excuses end? Man up. Man up. I'm talking to guys in their 80s, some of them in their 90s. All right? Don't tell me what your father was or what your mother was. The question is, what does God want you to do? All right? God expects you to be compassionate. So here's the deal. Oh, I don't have that kind of characteristic, John. Well, ask God to give it to you. You understand? This is the experience that you get in day two. Get on your knees or even without your knees as you walk around and you pray a hundred times a day. Ask God to fill you with compassion. Lord, help me to be compassionate. Help me to be caring. Help me to be kind. Take these characteristics out of me that, that repudiate that, and he will respond. Amen? I want you to understand this. This is important, all right? I want you to, this is why I'm starting the year on this topic, so that you can get this sense of how important this is. Now, Jesus, we know, was also compassionate. I mean, the very definition of Jesus was compassion. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. These are the characteristics of a godly man. It's the characteristics of our Lord and Savior. Matthew 20, look at verse 30. We'll start with verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked him. And told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Amen. That's the definition of compassion. Look, he wasn't annoyed that they were yelling at him and, and, and interrupting. He had, he had things to do. He had places to go. He was a busy guy. He didn't say, hey, come on, man. I'm on the way to speak to 1,000 people. I don't stop and, and waste my time with you two guys. I got more important things to do. No, no. Nothing was more important than seeing the needs of people. Nothing more important. So one of the things I'm going to suggest to you is that those of you that travel in an urban environment from time to time, you may want to keep some currency in your pocket, not a lot, but some currency in your pocket, so that when you're stopped by somebody on the street who appears to be homeless, who has those signs, and I know what you think, oh, he's just another drunk looking for people to, to take money from me, but I want you to understand something. That's not true of every single person. All right? That's not true of every single person. And I would say that you ask God and you pray to God at those moments, Lord, what would you have me do? And I would suggest to you that more often than not, you could take a dollar or two and give it to somebody like that in an act of compassion. In an act of compassion, not an act of judgment. All right? In an act of compassion. Or even, frankly, sometimes maybe if you know you're going to be traveling in places like that, you can, you can buy McDonald's cards uh, so that you can give them a meal. There's another way to impact. But you think ahead. You know you're going to be involved in places like this. I, I mean, I know it. When I'm walking in Fort Lauderdale or I'm walking in San Francisco, you can't take 10 steps without seeing this. 
Now, look, can I say this is all a bunch of drunks? Of course I could say that. But is that how God wants me to lead my life? Instead, I think God wants me to be the kind of a person that, that will see the need and will step up in compassion. And what I always say whenever I do this is I always say, I want you to know the Lord loves you. I want you to know the Lord loves you. All right? And you'd be surprised uh, how people respond when you say that. The Lord loves you. Look, this separates us from the world. All right? You want to carry the cross of Christ? This is what Jesus did. This is carrying the cross of Christ. Look, I know this may sound a little strong uh, as we kick off the year, but this is a big subject. All right? I'd love to see you guys have your lives changed in miraculous ways. And here's the thing. You are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And so when people say to me, well, you know, I've been saved, but I don't really see a big difference in my life. Whoa, I would say this. Well, if you don't see a big difference in your life, the first question I would say is, are you saved? Have you really, have you really given your heart to Jesus? And I'm going to assume that you did. But now day two requires willfulness. You understand? Willfulness, meaning stepping out in faith according to the will of God, not sitting there in your hands. Some of us think that the, that the full extent of, of being a Christian in day two is going to church. That's it. They, we go to church every day, get up every Sunday, take a shower. I go to church. What do you do after church? I go out for pancakes. What's the highlight, highlight of the day? Pancakes. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Barely do those sermons even get through. It's the pancakes that you reflect upon about the high point of your life. Well, here's the point. Going to church is no more than huddling up on a football game. All right? That's what church is about. You go up and you huddle up. Oh, it's good. Oh, the music is good. Oh, God, I feel so good. Oh, I'm so lifted up. Where are we going for pancakes? Where are we going for pancakes? What I'm suggesting to you here is that if you want your life to change, he has empowered you. It's as if he's been giving you the most incredible electrical source. He's given you the motor. He's given you the generator. Now you have the plug, all right? You have the plug. Are you going to plug it into the wall and ask God to fill you and to control you and, and to make you the man he wants? That's your job. You have a responsibility. Because listen, the day is going to come when you're going to go face to face with Jesus. And I don't want you to use it as, a, as an excuse and, and a reason to get in as well. I was in John Garippa's Bible study, Lord. It was good. I was blessed. And Lord, the Lord will say to you, well, well, that's good. I'm glad he's doing the job that he's supposed to do. But I had big plans for you, John. I had big plans for you, John. Let me show you the plans I had for you. Oh, no, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. And that's what this is about. God has amazing plans for you. You have no idea what he has in mind, but we have to walk with him. We have to step out. So we need to change our life. You need to be filled with compassion. Compassion. And how does that mean? It impacts your relationship with your children. Are you compassionate with your children? And I'll give you a big one. How about your wife? Some of you have been married 50 years. You're still not compassionate with your wife. It's almost like you're living in hostage territory. You know what I'm talking about after so many years. You need to have compassion infiltrating in every aspect of your life. Compassion. And so this becomes an important thing. Look also at Luke chapter 7. 
Luke 7. You know, it's funny, when I was driving here today uh, from my home and I've been praying, I prayed all night, you know, Lord, tell me what I have to say. And I felt like, Lord, I just don't know. I don't feel this. I don't feel this. And, and, and I didn't get this, this, this presence. And I talked to Alex about this often, that, Lord, if, if it's not me, it's all about you. And so this is a message that somehow I believe that there are people here who are desperate to hear this and need to hear it, even if I find it difficult to preach it. Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Verse 11, we'll start with. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples, and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, you've got to love Jesus, because there never was a funeral that Jesus couldn't stop and make a change, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't understand the word funeral. Didn't understand the word funeral. So there's a funeral. They're carrying their dead son out. God, don't you wish you could see this in a movie? Honestly, God, Lord. Uh, and, and dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Can it be any sadder? That's it. She's finished. There's no social security. You understand? There's no Medicare. There's no governmental fund that's going to be a safety net. That's it. Her safety net is being carried out in the funeral. The only boy that she had, she's a widow, she's by herself. And Jesus is seeing this. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Look, this is the creator of the universe. If the creator of the universe can reach out to us and say, don't cry, what are we doing? Don't cry, don't cry. Oh my Lord. Then he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. You see what happens when we give in to the Spirit of God? I'm not saying you're going to raise dead people. All right, it was only Jesus could do that. But what I'm saying to you here is that each of us in our own way, when asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to walk with his spirit, and the compassion that we exhibit for him will give rise to growth, to people coming to the Lord. Look, the world does not have, has never seen this kind of conduct. The world doesn't understand what it means to compassion, to have compassion. It doesn't understand it. But when we exhibit it as children of God, as men of God, what a difference we're going to make in the, in the world. Uh, and so I want you to see this. Also, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse, six cha verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Notice the word gently. Okay? Because some of us, I think, like to, to uh, restore, but we like to say you're a loser. You're going to hell. You make me sick. And you notice that that's not how God asks us to work. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. How do you like that? Even in the fact that the way that you deal with people who are outside the will of God. Act gently. 
and be uplifting because otherwise you're going to be tempted. Then look at the next verse. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How about that? Carry each other's burdens and in that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I want to ask you something. Do you feel right now that the life you're living is that you're involved in trying to carry other people's burdens? Can you honestly say and look at God and say, Lord, I want you to know that I feel like I'm carrying other people's burdens? Some of us couldn't care less. We couldn't care less. We think that our religious obligations begin and end with going to church. No, it does not. No, it does not. All right, God expects you to carry each other's burdens. When one of us is hurting, we should gather around. When one of us needs prayer, we should gather around. When one of us is going through financial difficulties, we should gather around. We should lift up. We should restore. We should pray in every possible way. This is how God wants us to live. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, this is an important study for you to understand. Look also, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Whoa, wait a minute. I never realized that. In other words... The very comfort that you have received is the very comfort he expects you to pass on to others. I mean, can you imagine? This is why we have people here who go to the prisons, spend time in the prisons. Why? What do you think? They like prisoners? They're engaging guys. They got some good jokes, some good tell, you know, like to hear their stories. Are you kidding me? They go because they know Jesus wants them to go. They have compassion on them. Their families are destroyed. God knows that. And so he inspires us to reach out and do it. This is why this year I want you to think about some of the ministries that you need to step out about. There are people that need your input, need your wisdom, need your talents, and dare I say it, maybe even your money. Because whatever you have, whatever you are, he gave it to you. And until you recognize this fact, until you recognize that all you are, all that you will be, all that you have come from him, you will not really walk in day two. You will not walk in day two. All right? So we have to get over this mentality. And so when I read this verse, wow, it just so resonates with me. I want to read it again. Praise be the God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. There it is. God is the Father of compassion. And that's why you need to pray to him and ask you, to ask him to give you that, that gift of compassion and the God of all comfort. And so it comes together. The compassion comes along with comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. He's there for you every day across the year, comforting you, being there with you. Why? Because he has compassion. Do you honestly think that the creator of the universe needed to send God himself to be your savior? Did he need to do that? He could have just written this little experiment off like a bunch of ants. I told you that story that really, this is like, like you looking at an ant pile and saying, oh, I love those ants. They're so good. Look how they work together. You know, 
I'm going to become one of those ants. That's why I love them. I mean, you think about it and you're laughing now, but that's exactly the story of, this, of God, that his compassion was so great for us that he wanted to share this world with us, to have a relationship with us, that his compassion motivated him to send Jesus Christ. So everything that you have, the fact that you're saved, the fact that you're walking with God is because of the compassion of God, the very compassion of God. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can com comfort those, who, those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. There it is. It's passing it along. He has comforted you. And so he's asking you, just as he's comforted you, to take that comfort and pass it along to someone else. This becomes a very, very important aspect of our life. A very important aspect of our life. And so I, I ask you to reflect on this this year and, and really ask God to fill you with that spirit of, of compassion. Now, now I want to talk about being a servant, uh, which is point number two. Jesus was the ultimate servant. That's the next characteristic. He was the ultimate servant. He never looked, he, 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 although he was praised as a great teacher and had a great following, uh, he made sure to teach the disciples to be servants by actually doing it himself. And this is one of the great, I think, great characteristics of Jesus. Even though here he is as the son of God, the ability to, to effectively create this world, uh, to the ability to make people rise from the dead, to cure the blind, the lame, and the whole. He never lifted himself up personally. He never said, look, you need to tell me I'm good. You need to tell me I'm great. I need to be the head of this church. I should be the head of this temple. I should be the head of all the synagogues. He never said any of these things that would be self-acclamation. Think about it. Think about it. Do you think that's the nature of how God wants you to live? This is what it is to be a servant to bow, to submit to your life. And so he taught his disciples in every possible way that they needed to serve others. Turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you know that that, that title of Son of Man was the title that Daniel gave him in his prophecies. It is the title that Jesus used more than any other title referring to himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man 81 times. He reserved the title of Messiah only once at the well with the Samaritan woman and then at trial when Caiaphas right out and pushed him to admit that he was possibly the Messiah. Other than that, Jesus never called himself the Messiah. He called himself the Son of Man. Meaning what? He recognized that he was part of us. He had come to be part of us. He was fully man in every aspect of his life. Yes, fully man, but fully God. But he called himself Son of Man. And so what is he saying here? The Son of Man came to serve and not be served. And so I say to you, do you have that mentality? Do you have that mentality that when you get up in the morning that you must serve God and that by serving God you serve the kingdom? Do you have that mentality? Are you looking for ways to serve God by serving the kingdom? 
Or instead, or instead, and I know some good Christians who feel this way, uh, and say, you know, my talents are not being properly recognized. I have great talents spiritually, and I don't understand it why the church isn't elevating me. I should be up near the front. I should be called on to pray publicly. I should be called on to preach. I should be called on to teach. And, and instead, I don't see this happening, and, I, I, and this is a huge deficit in my mind of God. No, it's not a deficit of God. It's a deficit of you, okay? Because you don't think that way. God doesn't want you to think that way. God wants you to think, what can I do to advance the kingdom of God? I'll give you a personal testimony on this. When you know that I went through that experience where I, where I heard God speak to my heart, that I needed to start uh, to, to speak about him publicly. This goes back now about 16, 18 years, and I prayed for a long period of time. How is this supposed to happen? I had delusions of grandeur. You understand? Oh, yeah. Yeah, God, I know. Somebody with my background, you could use me good. I'm sure there's some big para-Christian uh, organization, like the Red Cross maybe, that I could be the president of. I'll, I'll wait for you to open the door for that. I, I'm sure there is. And no, nobody came to the door. All right? That wasn't the call of God on my life. The call of God on my life was to submit to him in the most humbling way to start a Bible study in my house with five people 11 years ago, and that only took place because Tom Lofgren, who's sitting here, said to me one day, hey, you and I are in church together. How about you start, you and me starting a Bible study in our house in Port Royal? All right, how about us doing that? Now, here's the deal. All right, the old John would have said, wait, wait a minute. Let's start a Bible study in my house? I have bigger plans than that. I got bigger plans than that. No, no, no. But when God prepares the way, when Tom said that to me, instantaneously, what did I say? Yes. I didn't use the old Christian weasel language, let me pray about it. <laughs> oh, you mean you might have done that? Let me pray about it. And then in about two weeks, I'll forget we ever had that discussion. But I said yes. And so there it was. Had to start with five guys in the house, and oh yeah, let me see if I can promulgate this better, Lord, because I know uh, you're good, God, but I'm pretty good at promoting myself, so let me promote this thing, and I send out 250 postcards to all the neighbors, and not one person came. How's that? You getting lower? I'm like, now I'm about an inch tall. You got it? I'm an inch tall. Everything that I had designed that I thought he wanted me to do now had reduced me to a, basically a midget, okay? Until I finally recognized, Lord, I'll do what you want. I'll go where you want. I'll do what I want. And today, this group is testimony to the work of God. Not the work of me, the work of God. Yes, you can applaud God's work. This is God's work. This is God's class. This is God's study, all right? He has given me the privilege to be up here and speak the words that he wants to say. But look, make no mistake about it, this is his work. And that's what we call being a servant of God. Not defining it itself by your greatness, your reputation, all right? That's meaningless. The more we understand that we are to be reduced to the dust, that if he deigns to use us in some amazing way, that he is giving us the greatest privilege. Can you imagine the creator of the universe using you? 
to advance his kingdom. Can you imagine? And I promise you, I promise you as I stand here right now, that's what will happen when you say, God, use me. I want to be a servant. I want to be your man. I give you my life. I dedicate what I have, Lord. I want to be a servant. Don't leave this building today without making that commitment. We'll continue this next week. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, as we study your character, we are humbled by these characteristics that the creator of the universe would have compassion and a servant's heart. Lord, help us, mold us. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Let us now, Lord, let the Spirit flow through us and inspire us to change our lives, to change our character, to change the way we view the world, to leave here never to be the same, Lord, and to make a promise that this year we will walk forward with you carrying the cross of Christ. We are in day two, Lord. We're going to continue to be in day two for the rest of our life, and we will carry the cross of Christ as we move forward to impact the world. Lord, be with our people. Protect them in everything they do and bring them back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.